0: Welcome back to Across the Movie Aisle, presented by Bulwark Plus. I am your host, Sonny Bunch, culture editor of The Bulwark. I'm joined, as always, by Alyssa Rosenberg of The Washington Post and Peter Suderman of Reason Magazine. Alyssa, Peter, how are you today?
1: Happy to be living in the present instead of dwelling in the past.
2: (laughs) I am happy to be talking about movies with friends.
0: Uh, first up in controversies and controversies, uh, the new host of Jeopardy, Mike Richards, is out after taping just a week's worth of shows following the revelation that he uh, once did some podcasts. Uh, yes, the executive producer of Jeopardy, who pulled the Dick Cheney by choosing himself as the new permanent host of Jeopardy during a search for a post Alec Trebek host, uh, has stepped down. From the gig, after The Ringer revealed that he uh, A, admitted to not being very good at trivia, B, said the word boobies in a discussion of nude selfies, uh, said one-piece swimsuits are frumpy during a question uh, about swimwear, used the words midget and retard. I know that's uh, that's a tough one, but I'm just going to say it. Maybe we'll beef it out later. I, and most questionably, uh, made a joke about Jewish people having big noses. I, I saw someone joke on Twitter that being the EP on a show hit with multiple lawsuits related to the treatment of women, um, as happened during Richard's tenure on Pride right was really no big deal, but hosting a podcast was a bridge too far. And really, that does seem to be the issue here. The The Ringer's expose uh, didn't seem to uncover a ton, but it just kind of pushed everything over the edge. And it was it was like weirdly, almost kind of painfully, you know, PC. Uh, at one point, the author referred to a homeless person as a, quote, unhoused woman, end quote. And I like it's that sort of thing that just made me that say, inaccurate? like, what is— what is going on here exactly? So here here's how uh here is the ringers Claire McNear making the argument uh that is the center of the piece. Quote, "In an online socially conscious world, Richards had a tall task ahead of him in proving not only that he deserves the Jeopardy job after a long and contentious process whose integrity many found many fans doubt, uh, but also that he can embody the qualities intellectual curiosity, cultural open-mindedness and reverence for the topics both silly and serious that appear on the board that have made Jeopardy into a" beloved touchstone, end quote. I don't know, guys. I thought the main quality of the show was knowing stuff and just like being good at trivia. Um, And all of this really calls to mind the insane, the totally nutty kerfuffle a couple months back when uh, a winner winner of the show held up three fingers uh, during his third appearance on the program and people thought he was flashing a white power symbol. Uh, Alyssa, why are people losing their minds over this dumb game show? And how did Jeopardy end up becoming a culture war flashpoint?
1: I mean, everything is a culture war flashpoint, as you know, as well or better than any of us. Mm. Um, but I think that there are a couple things going on here. Um, one is that Jeopardy! had this sort of bizarrely protracted audition process for the hosting job, which made no sense given that people knew that Alex Trebek was quite ill. He was older. They had a lot of time to think this through. There were a number of obvious candidates for the job. And then they seemingly chose someone who was attractive to no one as one of the new hosts. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, So I think that – and, you know, they did it in a way – That put the host sort of at the center of the show, which Trebek was always an appealing part of Jeopardy! Right? I mean, he was sort of gentlemanly, erudite, but he was a perfect host in that he was an excellent foil for the competitors on the show. Um, He allowed them to sort of showcase their personalities, what they were good at, et cetera. Um, And so the search process kind of inverted the premise of the show and then produced a result that people were unhappy with before the fact that Richards was sort of obnoxious and unpleasant uh, became broadly reported. The second issue here is, I'm sorry, I don't understand why either Hollywood corporate HR hasn't figured out how to vet people for jobs or why a private firm to just sort of vet people for their problematics has not been founded and become incredibly profitable.
2: Million-dollar idea right there, folks.
1: Clearly, I should quit my job as a Washington Post columnist and co-host of Across the Movie Aisle and start this because I would be a bazillionaire and could, like, fund random projects that the three of us would enjoy discussing on the show. Um, So, peace, everybody. I'll see you later. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's. I mean, it's... It's maybe it's sort of silly that this is coming out in a you know very sort of sense like very sensitively put piece on the ringer. At the same time, why is the ringer doing Sony's corporate HR work for it? Right. I mean, this yeah, is I just mean, sort I- of obvious stuff, especially. I mean, like, especially in Hollywood, anything that's gonna set off the ADL is like something you wanna get ahead of. Like that, that part of the playbook, people understand or at least I thought they understood. Um, But it's just the company comes out of it looking so stupid and it has squandered so much goodwill for the show that I actually think that's much more the issue than the sort of specific complaints. Um, But yeah, look, part of being a good host for a game show or a party at a private gathering is making everyone feel welcome and sort of comfortable and putting the guests first. And Richards was clearly not in a position temperamentally or otherwise to do that.
0: You know, I I think there are two, there there are a couple of different things going on here, Peter. But one one thing that jumps out at me in particular is the idea that the Jeopardy host should already be a famous person strikes me as a weird one Um, and kind of counter to the show as it evolved. Yes, Alex Trebek became... A cultural institution. I don't think anyone would deny that. Everyone, you know, if you saw Alex Trebek on the street, he's one of the few people in this world who everybody would light up with joy and say, oh, Alex Trebek, I love you." But, but the 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 host, as Alyssa says, is not the point here. Like, why do why are people clamoring for? famous faces to be the face of Jeopardy. Why is LeVar Burton the Twitter favorite? Why are why are people demanding that Aaron Rodgers give up his multi-million dollar NFL paycheck to be, you know, a, a cue card reader to on be TV? Fair,
1: I mean, to be fair, LeVar Burton has successfully hosted an extremely popular nonpartisan television show for an incredibly long time, right? Like I don't sure. know if either of you grew up with Reading Rainbow, of course, but of course he is yes. someone who is sort of eminently qualified for the job. And Wanted it. Unlike yeah. some of the other people who were in contention.
0: But uh, but again, like why why is that? I I, I am yeah. a little bit confused as to why that is the thing that people are like most focused on in 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 the Jeopardy search is finding somebody who we all recognize and are like, yes, we all we all need this person to take over here. I mean, I, I, I it feels like it's a total misunderstanding of the show.
1: Yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, James Holtzatz are. Would have been a who was a very successful contestant on the show. Would have been fine, right? I mean, he would have been someone who understood the guest dynamic. It's, I mean, man, I don't know what everyone wants. I the, the only intense Jeopardy watching period of my life has come during periods when I was hanging out with my late grandmother. So I am perhaps not the person to, you know grok the jeopardy fandom which is apparently includes you know all of the same insane dynamics that make fandom in every other arena of public life terrible but um yeah it's just sony's full of idiots apparently
2: peter is sony full of idiots i think i'm the wrong person to ask about why people care about this since i do not in any way and i i don't even quite know how to relate to caring about this, because as you you said, you know, everybody would light up if they saw Alex Trebek on the street. I would not. I mean, I, I guess I would now because I'd be like, there's there's a dead guy on the street <laughs> and that <laughs> would be Zombie very Alex strange. Zombie Alex Trebek. Um, no, like, he's not somebody who I have any strong feelings about one way or the other. It's not that I dislike Alex Trebek at all. He seemed perfectly fine and appealing uh, in the one time the, that I have ever engaged with him directly, uh, it, it, like, uh, even as a, a viewer, which is, watching Groundhog Day a thousand times and there's the scene in it right the repeat scene where where Bill Murray ends up watching Jeopardy and he knows all the answers and so from that I know something about Alex Trebek but that's it and I I don't get why people care about Jeopardy I don't get why people care about the host uh, I love, Al, uh, love LeVar Burton I like I'm a reading rainbow and a nerd and a Star Trek nerd um uh I I do think I do think Alyssa is right to point to the way that fandom has uh, has taken control of some of these things, and fandom has fandom has just exerted really weird. Um, pressure on a lot of uh, cultural institutions, right? And Jeopardy! is a kind of institution. The moderator of Jeopardy! Trebek himself became part of that institution and in some ways his own institution outside of even Jeopardy! the game. Um, And so, you know, I, I suspect that people were looking for someone to fill in that sort of institutional figurehead role. Uh, and they felt like this Rando who, yes, he's been involved with the show for a long time, but he has no public persona at all, right? Like nobody knew who Mike Richards were, was five years ago or even two years ago. Right? Sure, some people knew, but you, you know what I mean? He had he wasn't a, yeah. a household name in any sense. Uh, and LeVar Burton was even a few years ago, even 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, and so they're looking for, they're looking for someone who can step in pre-made, right? And you know, in some ways, I guess I sort of get it. Uh, in just in that you don't want you don't want somebody to come in and. Have their reputation built like have 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 the wrong reputation for the show, and people yeah. felt like Mike Richards had the wrong reputation for the show. But at the same time, I just I, I also think that the people who care this intensely about this sort of thing are probably a relatively small group of people who are merely very loud online. Um, Jeopardy is popular; people do like it. It's run for forever. But you see this sort of thing with comic books. you see this sort of thing in the world of science fiction right now. You see this sort of thing in the y a industry. Um, just anywhere where there's sort of a a public media present right like presence that where that people feel like they, you know, are super invested. Um, there is a small group of intense super fans who feel like the institution isn't, isn't owned by the people who own it instead it must be owned by the fans and a lot of big corporations um, have ended up catering to that more than to anything else which in some ways has let that sense of communal ownership uh sort of extend out um and and has validated it now in some ways it's okay right like we all spider-man is spider-man's mine like I get to, but at the same time, like no, he I don't isn't. get to decide what, what. He's Sony's, and that's he's a, not even Marvel's anymore. Well, sure, anymore, really. that's, he's sort of, Mar- Marvel gets, Marvel has creative rights to live action Spider-Man. Um, not exactly. They, no, no, they, so they, they get to make the movies. They signed, uh, um though I think Sony does have to like sign off on some of this stuff. No, but, no, 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 These are all Sony movies that Marvel, has. It,
0: it doesn't matter. We're yes. getting, we're getting
2: bogged down in details
0: here. Anyway, uh, the here's, point here's, is that
2: there's, there's, there's there is this weird sense of ownership. Yeah. Um, In institutions that, that big companies have encouraged to some extent and in some ways is a good marketing strategy because you want people to be invested in your pop culture property. And on the other hand, comes back to bite them sometimes when the decision makers at the corporation make a decision that the, the people who feel like they are stakeholders in that property, uh, when they when they decide that they're going to be upset. So here's here's uh, what I would add to this: is that it's not
0: just a, a matter of fandom, and it's not just a matter of encouraging fandom and cultivating fandom. There's also a weirdly explicitly partisan political tinge to a lot of this conversation. So I mentioned I mentioned the weird controversy over the 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 guy who uh, the 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 like the Facebook group of former winners thought had been flashing a you know white power sign. He was just he literally was just holding up. Th- He was holding up three, you know, and uh, that that was part of it. Also, people are people are now trying to cancel Miami Bialik from her like guest hosting role because she uh, posted some pro IDF stuff and is like kind of Vax questioning adjacent something or other, you know, and I like there's there's there is an there. It feels like this is a situation where there is an explicitly. Uh, kind of, uh, you know, liberal or left-wing group of people who are trying to uh, take down a group of people that they don't like for, uh, like, again, almost explicitly political reasons?
1: I think, especially with Bialik, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Some of the views that she espouses that have upset people, including suggesting that people who, you know— lose babies under certain circumstances, we're like doing something wrong, like blaming people whose kids die, um, are don't map neatly onto a particular sort of political spectrum. And frankly, neither does anti-vax sentiment. Um, and that is related to something that I think is going on with the rise of fandom as a sort of significant valence point for people's identities, which is that as culture replaces or becomes a proxy for politics, everything in the public square gets weirder because culture is weirder than politics. And so, you know, this is a place where kind of corporate mismanagement and self-interest are playing into a show that kind of has a conservative older, you know, or older, And thus, you might guess somewhat more conservative fan base, but also a kind of younger activist wing of that as well. It's just, it's a weird set of multiple colliding buzzsaws.
2: I think the solution here is pretty obvious, and that's to have an AI host Jeopardy, right? I've said this for weeks now. The AI would know... All the answers already because it's an AI and it knows everything. And in fact, if you wanted to, you could have Google maybe get together with Marvel with one of the big uh, effects houses. You could you could ask the estate of Alex Trebek to use his likeness. And you could just have like a General Tarkin style, right? Like you could deep just blue, have him- Deep blue have, voicing Alex Trebek. And then you, right. And, and then you would have the the image that everybody's comfortable with, along with no human personality that can be canceled behind it. And, everybody, and it also like that you never have to hire another host again.
1: But would the AI be able to- accomplished Trebek's greatest feat, which is uh, heroically and half-nakedly chasing down a burglar um, uh, during uh, a time when he was off set. I mean, part of what people liked about Trebek is that he sort of became this character off the set of Jeopardy in a way that was sort of a little bit like wilder and more intriguing than the very sort of Button down, dapper person he was on set. I mean, the real solution here is just to let LeVar Burton host everything, including the Oscars.
0: AI LeVar Burton. No hosts ever. Hosts should be banned. Get rid of all hosts. <laughs> Get rid of all uh,
1: public events. Uh,
0: so, what do we think? Is it a controversy or a non-troversy that Mike Richards uh, got fired uh, shortly after getting the job uh, from Jeopardy? Alyssa? It's
1: a controversy.
0: Peter?
2: Sure, a controversy.
0: Yeah, it's a controversy. I still think the things he said on that podcast were relatively non but it was the the last straw in a series, a cascading series of failures by Sony, as, uh, as Alyssa mentioned. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, and who doesn't, it's great. Nobody go back through our old episodes and find things that we said that were slightly offensive to get us all fired. Thank you. Uh, make sure to head over to atma.tothebulwark.com where we'll be, uh, we're gonna be using the success of the new Paw Patrol movie to discuss taking kids to the movies. Uh, what are, what are we taking our kids to see? What, what sort of, uh, memories did we form at the movies, Peter, Alyssa, and I. Uh, and I. And that sort of thing should be fun show. Um, Speaking of memories, uh, on to the main event. Reminiscence. Writer director Lisa Joy, one half of the Westworld brain trust alongside husband Jonathan Nolan, presents a vision of the future where people have retreated into the past. Resource wars, have driven by global warming, have left Miami and its people flooded and broken, with nothing to live for. They use a machine that helps them relive memories to dive into the past. Uh, reminiscence is sci-fi noir. Hugh Jackman stars as Nick Bannister, an interrogator turned dream guide who walks people through their pasts. Uh, he and his assistant Emily, played by Thandi Newton, uh, help his, help his wounded buddies from the war relive happier times. He They help a woman rekindle an old flame. Uh, but it's a lost set of keys that need to be remembered that get him into trouble. That's what May, played by Rebecca Ferguson, uh, is looking for when she walks into Nick's joint. Uh, but what Nick finds is a world of trouble. He falls in love with her. She disappears and he can't stop reliving memories of their time together as he searches for any trace of the woman Uh, some say was just a junkie looking for a fix and others suggest is more dangerous. Uh, We can talk more about the way the plot resolves later in our discussion. Spoilers ahead. I'll hold off on that for a moment. Um, Here's what I liked about the movie. I like the look of it. I like the design Uh, from the Venice-like cityscape of Miami to the design of Nick and Emily's blank bank vault slash office to the smoky bars And nightclubs, the world feels lived in. I liked all of the performances pretty much. Jackson, I'm sorry, Jackman and Ferguson and Newton, yes, but also Cliff Curtis as a corrupt cop and Daniel Wu as an Asian Creole and Angela Sarafayan, who folks will remember from uh, Westworld as a scorned lover. Um, And there are great individual moments uh, as when one of the characters kind of interacts with the memory upon realizing that one of the people in the memory is trying to send a message. But I'm, I'm not sure the thing works as a whole. It all feels slightly perfunctory in a way, like it was heavily edited to hit a two-hour runtime. Uh, Nothing really gets a chance to breathe, and the ending feels like a little bit of a cop-out, honestly, as if Lisa Joy kind of edged up to the abyss, stared into it, and said, no, that's too dark. We're going to come back we're gonna pull it back just a little bit. Um, still, I am a sucker for Nolan adjacent high concept drama. Uh, Christopher's brother Jonathan is an EP on this, and as I said, uh, partner of Lisa Joy in many various respects. Um, and I like the look of it in IMAX. I did go. I went to go see this in IMAX, like almost uh, out of spite just to just
2: to say I I had done it. Uh, Peter, what say you about Reminiscence? I did not love this movie. I thought it was interesting in the way that it pulled together a bunch of film noir references um, as well as sci-fi references. There's a lot of minority report in this movie, a lot of Inception, a lot of Chinatown, a bunch of other films. Um, It also sort of feels a a lot like Westworld, uh, you know, it just in in the way that it's very slick looking in its use of you know its obsession with time and memory and identity and all those sort of Nolan Brothers concepts. Uh, but I just don't think it adds up to very much. There's just there's a lot more sort of on the surface uh, to this movie and than there is depth. Um and so I, I actually I want to take issue. Uh, a little bit with your praise of the movie's visuals, which I think are they're neat looking and there's some there's some interesting sort of surface level world building, but I think it's actually pretty shallow. There's just not a whole lot of sense of how people actually live and go about their days and how this world really works. It's except for the fact that there's a bunch of water everywhere and you have to ride a dinghy to get from your office to someplace else it's not it's not really a picture of a complete world of of one that has actually changed and been thought through um and uh, you know there's there's just there's just not actually that sort of texture of life that you see in the great world building science fiction films one that obviously comes to mind is blade runner another sci-fi noir that takes place entirely basically at night uh and what's great about blade runner what makes that movie work is that there are so many details that are in some sense irrelevant. They're not there just to be part of the plot. If you if you look anywhere in any of those frames, especially in the streetscapes, but even on the interiors, uh, you will always find some little little tiny detail that's, that the set designer, that Ridley Scott, planted there that doesn't have anything to do with the scene that is just telling you something about how this world works, that somebody has given it a huge amount of thought. And that's just not there in reminiscence. And the other thing that I didn't like uh, is that as pretty and as beautiful as that bank vault set is, I actually don't think it makes any sense. Uh, it's it's just too pretty it's too gorgeous and it's too interested in being kind of iconically uh iconically beautiful right um in a way that doesn't make sense for the world right or the characters so the Hugh Jackman detective character is supposed to be kind of on the ropes financially he's not somebody who can afford a, who could you know he's worried about his finances and that sort of thing he only appears to have one employee and yet in this world where poor people don't have a lot of dry space to themselves. He's got this just b- gigantic, beautiful, immaculate warehouse space. What would have been much more interesting is if he had been stuck in a dingy little basement, kind of wet, kind of dark, kind of dismal, uh, with crappy equipment for most of the movie. And they, in fact, introduced the idea of crappy equipment because the government uh, folks have these like sort of old-style black and white film uh, things that they use to go through people's memories, right? And it's it's older, worse equipment. And if he'd started there with the crappy equipment that he can can barely afford to keep up, and then maybe for the third act, right, the, the big, beautiful equipment that he can actually interact with is something that he that is sort of the prize for getting through the first part of the movie. But the movie doesn't want to do that. It doesn't want to sort of commit to letting these characters in this world be truly grungy or really have be all that interesting uh, beyond just sort of like, here's what we need to get from plot point to plot point. And I totally agree uh, with your with your assessment that this, this movie feels chopped up um, and just doesn't flow very well. I would say even more than that, it's not just that it doesn't flow very well and the bits don't get a, a chance to breathe. It feels like the bits themselves were not very, were not developed enough. This movie feels like a series of bullet points um, rather than an actual script that kind of flows from sequence to sequence. And none, I don't think most of the scenes work all that well on their own, even if the overall narrative is actually basically coherent in a way that some of the later seasons of Westworld, for example, uh, yeah. are not.
0: I uh, the 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 one place where it's it's a movie that looks like it was a sixty million dollar movie instead of a hundred and fifty million dollar movie, and and one way one way you really see this is in the crowd shots. The crowd shots always have like. Eight 15 people. or 20 people at the most, yeah. instead of like 50 or 60 people. You know, it, like it is it is like the the there's a there's a riot near the end where I'm just like, well, there there really aren't that many people here at this riot. Doesn't really feel that that dangerous. Uh Alyssa, what did you make of this?
1: I thought um both that this movie makes sort of a fundamental mistake in what's interesting about its setup, right? This is a movie where Climate change has clearly dramatically changed the contours of major cities. And instead of that being the most interesting thing about the world building that like actually drives the storytelling in a deep way, they invent this crazy techno hokum about you know memory that is this excuse for a noir plot. And every minute when I was watching this, I was thinking about how much better Kim Stanley Robinson's New York 2041 is. Um, And that is a novel that has a, you know, a noir style mystery. It has a major disaster in the middle of it, but it's a movie that's fundamentally driven by the ways in which New York would redesign itself as a city and people would redesign the way that they lived there if it became a new Venice. And it includes a subplot about property values, um, but it's one that actually makes sense, right? The <laughs> Part of what's bizarre about this is you have this sort of throwaway line about how the baddie bought up dry land for pennies on the dollar during resource wars. That isn't That is just a thing that misunderstands basic economics, right? If the world was in the process of being flooded and high ground became immensely valuable, there is no point at which it would be available at fire sale prices. It, like, It's just a completely illogical contradiction. And it shows how little thought goes into the world building of this on some level. They want to show you some cool shots of, you know, Neo Amsterdam style dikes and levees, and they want to have people splashing through the streets. And they wanna throw an Asian style floating market in there, but they don't have any particular thoughts about how the world would work or why it's different or how things would change culturally, other than this fancy invention. There are uh, those
2: super expensive trains everywhere that are like running, like sloshing through the water, which is not how trains perfectly. work. Yeah. And they're fine, yeah. right? They're they're like they're they're pretty and they're sort of sleek and you're like, well, and like what, no what government that can't afford like even like basic interrogation dream technology can somehow or another afford to fund these ridiculous trains that work Nobody's perfectly riding on them. in the water and no one is riding on them.
1: And yeah. n- But I mean, at an even smaller level than that, no one's changed what they wear, even though they're walking through ankle-deep water all the time. No one's bothered to build slightly raised sidewalks um you know <laughs> just it is it is sort of all an excuse to do techno babble and no world building at all and second this movie is an example of how hard it is to write a good noir script and really to a certain extent how hard it is to write a good script in any genre where the stylistic conventions are so well known that everything sounds like a cliche because A lot of the writing in this movie is terrible. (laughs) There's a moment early on when um, Emily tells Nick that he's late to work. And he sort of jokes back at her, uh, late is a construct of linear time. We don't deal in that. And that's a legitimately sort of funny line that, you know, gives you a sense of what they do. But, I mean, come on. If there are ghosts to be found, it's us who who haunt the dark. Memory is the boat that sails against the current, and I'm the oarsman. Like, I just, uh, I see, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mind all you know, this because it does. A, tr- it does, a trickle it, became a flood this time. Maybe this time it would wash the world clean. I mean, I'm sorry. This st- I, like,
0: uh, I this, don't mind this. No, no. I see. I don't mind this because it is <laughs> just. It's a it's a hard boiled voiceover, right? Like that's what they're doing. They're doing like a kind of mimicry of that, but in but this world.
1: Even if you like that, does it? Is this a movie that requires, I mean, every time we are shown something in one of these flashbacks, in the most literal, like, here, we're going to do a scene that's literally exposition. Why does it require Nick to then say, oh, my God, this is what I've just seen and how it relates to the plot every single time? I mean, this is an awful script.
0: Yeah, the movie does not trust the viewers. No, at not at this all. Is, this is a this is a noir written for like twelve year olds.
1: It's a no, it's a noir written for twelve year olds, both in the sort of construction of the mystery um, and in the concept, but also just you know, <laughs> it's just it's really clunky. It doesn't have the verbal style that the best noirs have, right? I mean. Watching a Sam Spade movie is fun because it's fun to listen to Sam Spade. This is just sort of dour and heavy on the metaphor and obvious all of the time. And it has none of the fun or, you know, if you read a Raymond Chandler short story, part of what's fun about it is that the sentences are short and punchy, but there's they're not... Blank, right? There's generally something sort of evocative. He has a way with a sharp image. Um, and this script just lacks anything distinctive. Feeling, right? I mean, you know, noir is stylistic, but it feels grounded to a certain extent. And no human being who's not unsuffer, ins- you know, unbearably insufferably pretentious, walks around. Commenting on the world in a metaphor that way—it <laughs> just
2: yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I a think thing. A, a, a good Nora script is like a beautiful woman. It's pretty in ways you can't put into words.
1: Uh, no, no, no. I mean, sorry, Peter. <laughs> a beautiful, a, a wonderful noir st- uh, script is like a beautiful woman. Um, it's. Let me do this correctly. <laughs> a great Nora script is like a woman, as beautiful as it is deadly. Right? I mean, come on. <laughs>
0: I uh, can we talk a little bit about the the central the metaphor and the and the kind of world building here just for a minute because it does feel it feels tacked on the the class warfare element feels totally tacked on um in, in, and uh, inessential in a way that is like kind of kind of weird and striking uh like they like they at the last minute were like ah crap we need to get social unrest into this how can we do this I mean this this um, just
2: strikes me as 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 being, uh, this movie wanted to be Chinatown in the future, and Chinatown is about water delivery and dams yep. and right and who owns what a, in a like stratified world of power and and money in Los Angeles. And they were like, what if we updated that? And in some ways, that's not a terrible idea. To, an updated Chinatown in a you know post in a global warming destroyed Miami where, right? where there's like,
1: too much water instead of sure, not
2: enough. Like right? it, it's not. It's not the dumbest idea I've ever heard for a movie, but then why do you need the memory machine? Make the movie about the world, right? And what's interesting about Chinatown is it's not a movie about a, a like a technology, right? It, a, about uh, a, it, there's no memory machine inside that movie. That movie is about the place, about the money, about the land itself, and about the people, right? And yes, there's some weird identity stuff that gets that happens in Chinatown. Uh, spoilers. Um, but, uh, but you don't need, you, you don't, in some sense, you almost don't need the memory machine to make an interesting movie out of this concept. Now, maybe you could also make an interesting detective story out of just the memory machine, but I don't think you need then the the rest of the, the global warming destroyed world, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's, there's two, this- there's actually two concepts here that don't, really have anything to do with each other, and they've just sort of been meshed up, and neither of them has been developed well enough to make a movie out of them.
0: This is a movie that feels like it started with an image in somebody's head, and that image was a detective talks to somebody who is un- unraveling the secret of the story in a memory to him when he is not the other person in the memory. That 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 is how this—as this, I was watching it and as that scene was playing out, I was like, oh, this is kind of a striking image. I don't think it really works— in the context of everything else that is happening here. But this is clearly like where this movie started. Um, and they, they, kind of worked and it felt at least that's what it felt like to me. And then they worked everything back from that. I mean, and it, I, I it
2: really seemed like they watched minority report and watched the bit at the beginning where Tom Cruise watches the video memories of his son. Right. And gets lost in that. And we're like, what if you made, what if you took that And that was a technology that could be used for, oh, wait, maybe it would start with interrogations and then private detectives would get a hold of a really fancy machine, even though they don't have any money. And anyway, I'll stop harping about this. Uh, But like it's it it struck me very much as like, well, we're the Nolans or John, we're. Mr. and Mrs. Nolan, I guess Mr. Nolan and Miss Joy here.
0: We should not undersell Lisa Joy as yes. the writer-director on this. It is not a Christopher that's Nolan true, but, or right. really so, even Jonathan is, Nolan production, is, even if he was right. at EP. Totally on right. this.
2: However, like this, the three of them all have share a similar set of obsessions. Um, yep. It's pretty clear. And you start with Minority Minority Report and then you say, well, what's another great noir? It's Chinatown. Um, and how can we kind of combine those two things? And I think they ended up just sort of holding both of them next to each other without actually successfully integrating them.
1: Also, to be fair, they must have read a lot of The Great Gatsby and gotten really obsessed with the final lines and metaphors because, like, we're all being born ceaselessly into the past, guys.
0: Can I complain briefly about the ending of this movie? Which oh, I no. think is 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 a my so spoilers, actual spoilers from here. I I have I have a real issue with the way they treat Rebecca Ferg- Re- Rebecca Ferguson's May in this um i i i feel like it's a total cop out to have her be the kind of hooker with a heart of gold at the end who saves the little kid and you know go and and explains the whole thing to to nick so he can you know f- figure everything out and stuff I, I i they should have just had her just have her be villainous just lean into it and then ha- the real tragedy of him living in this this half imagined world at the end uh, would be him actually cutting the sad story short in the middle, so all he remembers is his happy times with this crazy villainous person. I just, like, I, 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 I watched it, and at the end, I was very annoyed. I was like, you can't, you cannot set this person up to be the villain and and us have us pity Nick and then, like, give it all to him anyway. You just can't do that.
1: Yeah, I think that's correct.
0: Am I, am, I, am I just complain Peter, am I just do, doing a complaint saying I want a different movie than the one we
2: got? It's a, the worst form, the lowest form of criticism. I don't think so. I think you're saying that the movie, in trying to be what it wanted to be, failed to do so by making bad choices.
0: Yes. All right. And I uh, would so agree with that assessment. What do we think? Thumbs up or thumbs down on Reminiscence? Peter? Thumbs down. Alyssa? <laughs> thumbs down. I'm still going to give it a thumbs up. I still kind of liked What's it, honestly. Funny. I still even with all even with all of my complaints about it, even with my with my uh complaints about the end and everything else. I still I still like this movie. This I'm not going to lie. Two
2: weeks in a row where Alyssa yeah. and I were like, "No." And you're like, ah, "I don't know. I'm not sure I it's great." I don't know. But I mean, I just- you know, it
0: was maybe it was just seeing it in IMAX. I went to go see it in IMAX. I got the real experience and you you guys I assume did not.
2: Do that. That is correct. I watched this at home on an OLED.
0: Uh, I actually kind of want to watch it on my OLED just to see how, how uh, inky black the blacks are. All right, okay, so that is it for today's show. Uh, if you loved it, uh, make sure to check out our members-only uh, bonus episode on kids' movies and taking kids to theaters and going to the movies as kids ourselves. Uh, make sure to tell your friends. Strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences, and if we don't grow, we'll die. Uh, if you did not love today's episode, please complain to me on Twitter at Sunny Bunch. Lots of people do that. They love to complain to me. It's great. Uh, but I will convince them and you That this is, in fact, the best show in your podcast feed. See you guys next week.